We're a month away from ACC Football Media Days, the unofficial kickoff of the new season, and about two months shy of the start of fall football camps at Virginia Tech and UVA. Mike Nislick of the Roanoke Times and Greg Medea of the Charlottesville Daily Progress join me as we wrap up spring with a special edition podcast. Welcome in to this special edition podcast, wrapping up spring football and looking ahead to the 2022 college football season for both Virginia Tech and UVA. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and the new season marks new beginnings for both the Hokies and the Hoos. Off-season coaching changes at both Commonwealth schools mean Brent Pry and Tony Elliott, they're getting their first shots leading their own programs. Mike Nislick of the Roanoke Times and Greg Medea of the Charlottesville Daily Progress will join me here to break down what we saw from these teams so far and what to expect from them in 2022 as we wrap up spring football on this special presentation from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Virginia Tech went 6-7 and seven last season, fired coach Justin Fuente with two games left in the regular season, but did beat UVA and reached a bowl game. The Hokies are now rebooting with Brent Pry at the helm, a former graduate assistant at Tech, and most recently, the defensive coordinator at Penn State. In Charlottesville, Bronco Mendenhall was a surprise choice to take over the team before the 2016 season. It was surprising how quickly he resurrected the Cavaliers, leading them to the 2019 Coastal Division title and a spot in the Orange Bowl. But maybe most surprising, his resignation after this past 6-6 six and six season. Enter Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator at Clemson, to kind of try to keep UVA rolling in the right direction. Let's dive into both programs, starting down I-81 in Blacksburg. To break down the Hokies' first spring under new coach Brent Pry, we're joined now by Mike Nislick of the Roanoke Times. Mike covers Virginia Tech football for the chain. His outstanding his work is outstanding, and he's kind enough to share some of his insight with us now. Mike, welcome to the show, and, and thanks for being here. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Excellent. Appreciate you doing this. So let's start big picture, bird's eye view. Uh, this program it certainly wasn't satisfied with where it has been the past few years under Justin Fuente, but Mike, this wasn't a, a roiling dumpster fire, right? This wasn't a team that was coming off a two-win season. It, it's not a total rebuild. Uh, so what did Brent Pry inherit and what were the areas that he had to address first? Well, I think it actually is going to be almost a total rebuild after what they lost you know they they had a big exodus towards the nfl um you know with um a lot of talent um you know guys uh you know uh, especially on the offense where you lose you know multiple receivers um you know tavian robinson transferring kind of added to that um and so i think that this is going to be you know he hasn't used that word but i I mean to me this is going to be uh, a couple year process, I, I, I think, for him to kind of get to where he wants this to be, especially talent wise, because uh, I think, you know, it's pretty lean um, right now for Virginia Tech with, with, with what, uh, you know, Coach Pry is inheriting. So you're, you're there, you were there at the open practices, you get to talk to the coaches, um, you get in a feel, I know it's not everything, but a feel for what this offense, what this defense are going to look like. Uh, try to paint a picture for us. What, what, what are you expecting the Virginia Tech offense, at least year one, under Brent Pride to, to look like? Yeah, I think that's still to be determined. You know, I, I think one of the things that they've used the spring to do is try to get a uh, feel for their personnel. Um, sounds like, I mean, one of the things I think that they're, they're going to use their tight ends a lot. I mean, I, I think that 
um, that that's going to be something that's, you know, uh, similar to the last half of the fact that that's going to be kind of a feature. Um, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, I don't think this is going to be a team that runs the quarterback a ton, you know, something like that where, you know, the offense under Justin Fuente was at, at its best when they had a dual threat quarterback. I don't think that that's going to be kind of where they go with this kind of next year. I think they're going to be a, a run first offense. Um, at least they're going to try to be uh, with what the offensive line can bring um, and, the, and the running back room. Um, but, you know, I, as far as kind of like the details, I mean, Tyler Bowen is kind of a first-time offensive coordinator, so I, I think that's part of the surprise that, that, that this team, you know, I don't, I don't think fans know necessarily what to expect yet because, um, you know, I think he's probably still putting that game plan together and, and kind of working out those fine, fine-tuned de- details. Yeah, you know, I, I spoke with, with Ricky Ronnie a little bit at, at, at Old Dominion, and uh, they're getting ready to, to open the season with Virginia Tech. And he kind of pointed out you've got a, a new head coach, a new a first-time head coach, a first-time offensive coordinator, and a first-time defensive coordinator. Not a lot of uh, clues in terms of how to get ready, what to study. Um, they're, they're studying a collection of, of film from uh, where Bowen was, where Marv was, where some of these assistants have been. Uh, and, and certainly Ricky knows Coach Pry real well from their Penn state time. So trying to blend in a feel, but it's interesting to, to kind of think about what this might look like. How about the other side of the ball where, where we know that Brent Pry will have even more of a hand. Uh, what do you expect this defense to look like? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Penn state will be kind of the blueprint. I mean, obviously I think more of a traditional four, three base. Um, and then with rotating with the nickel from time to time on, on depending on the down and distance. So, I mean, that third linebacker, uh, will probably be the biggest difference, you know, from from last year. Um, even though it's gonna be kind of a guy that you know they've converted from the safety as they've kind of re re kind of reconfigured the defense. Um, but you know, a little bit different than what the whip looked like with with Chamari. Chamari moves kind of the back end. Um, I, I think it's gonna be even though Justin Hamilton, uh, you know, statistically did blitz a lot. I think it's gonna be an aggressive uh, defense in terms of you know how much they do blitz. Um, where they bring guys from, I think that's going to, you know, be uh, pretty varied, um, you, you know, and it, we'll see what he wants to do. You know, one thing I think that, you know, this defensive line is not uh, <laughs> very good, I guess. I mean, bottom line, <laughs> I mean, in terms of the pass rush, um, they just, there's not a team that's going to get to the quarterback a ton. Um, so I think they're going to, he's going to have to do things to disguise blitzes and, and bring pressure. And he said that that's something he's comfortable with, that he did that at Penn state a couple of years where the, you know, when their defensive line wasn't as good, you know, uh, bringing a lot more pressure, um, you know, from the linebackers and secondary to sort of make up for that. And I think that's kind of, um, what you'll see because, you know, they don't have, you know, Amari Bonner was their best pass rusher. He's gone. And I, and I think they have some, you know, question marks there. So I think they'll make up for some of that by scheme and, and scheming some of that out. Now, when Justin Fuente was here, he obviously had an offensive background. Uh, he was very involved in that side of the ball. And, and, you know, we all wrote and talked about, you know, the process of him kind of giving over the reins of the offense to Brad Cornelson when, when that went down uh, at Memphis and, and that balance that he struck while at Virginia Tech. What is Brent Pry's plan? Like how involved is he going to be certainly from the start? And do you see him kind of hands off later this year uh, in a year or two? What's the plan for Brent Pry in terms of 
who's actually calling and running this defense. Yeah, it sounded like when he was hired that the plan was to do it in more in the short term to hand off the reins and, and not be as sort of, um, you know, calling the plays, you know, uh, you know, but I think that changed many hires. Uh, Chris Marr, who's never uh, been a defensive coordinator. So I think this is probably, uh, a, you know, at least uh, a year or two down the line um, before he decides to, you know, um, just kind of step back. I think you're going to see him call the plays all season and then kind of probably take a look and, and see what they want to do after that, um, you know, depending on how things go. I do think it's tough. You know, a lot of times a uh, first-time head coach – um, that's kind of one of the biggest things to decide, right? Like how, you know, you have to have the big picture view, um, but it's what you know and what you do best and it's how you got here. Um, so um, I, I think him calling plays makes sense uh, for right now. Like I said, just because you have, you know, both first, both court, first, first year coordinators on both sides of the ball. Um, I think him kind of staying in place, um, on the defense, like I said, gives them some um, experience and makes, you know, kind of eliminates some question marks on that side and allows Chris Marv some time to uh, learn under him and, and get ready. So I'd say you're probably a year or two away from, from that conversation probably happening. That makes sense. And then offensively, you know, they've brought in some guys who have play calling experience, who have other experience. They're doing something interesting, Mike, I thought, with having a designated quarterback coach. So often in, in college football, the quarterback coach is is the offensive coordinator. He is the play caller. Uh, what's the benefit of the way that Brent Pry has set up his staff in, in that regard? Well, I think the benefit is that, um, you know, you have more time, you know, one-on-one time to, to kind of coach the quarterbacks for, for Brad Glenn. You know, he can focus on them and, and not have to worry kind of about the big picture stuff, uh, calling plays, um, you know, which is, is very time-consuming. Um, and, and, you know, kind of a challenge in and of itself, whereas he gets to kind of spend – and at practice he doesn't have to kind of worry about the other groups where he can just focus on how the quarterbacks are playing. And so uh, I think that's the clear benefit, that they get more teaching and more, um, you know, uh, you know, work on technique and things like that. And, you know, that was one of the things they pitched to uh, Grant Wells, that, you know, he'd have that, that kind of tutelage um, and that focus – um, so I think that's the benefit. I mean, the other, the, the flip side is, is that, you know, will there be some tension in terms of like, you know, um, do, you know, do they see the offense a little differently, you know, what, how, you know, what they think the guy's strengths are, they got to be on kind of the same page. Um, and so we'll see how that kind of develops. It sounds like Brad Glenn's, you know, more than willing to kind of, uh, compromise and, and, and sort of be involved, but not sort of run the show. So, I mean, that's the good news, but I, I do think it'll be sort of an interesting, uh, experiment. Cause you know, I mean, most offenses go the other way now. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. It's it's fascinating. All right. Well, those are the guys who are in charge of the X's and O's. And, and let's go, like coaches say, to the, the Jimmies and the Joes. Let's talk personnel. Uh, officially, the competition, I know, goes on at, at quarterback. Mike, it was hard to walk out of Lane Stadium after the spring game without feeling like maybe Grant Wells is going to be the guy this season. Uh, what did you make of, of Wells, the transfer from Marshall, uh, Jason Brown, the transfer from South Carolina during the spring, their competition, and, and what's your outlook for that position going into the fall? Yeah, I think that it's, uh, you know, Grant Wells was a clear favorite, not just because of, you know, that that spring game, which I thought was was very uh, impressive performance, um, but it was just the way he played throughout spring camp when we saw you know, the open periods. I thought he had the best arm. He's the best downfield passer uh, of the group. 
Um, you know, he's got he's got a strong resume in terms of, you know, he's done this for two years, you know, starter, doesn't have any experience facing power five teams. But I mean, um, you know, he shouldn't be caught off guard kind of by the challenge. Um, you know, when you start two years, I, I think that kind of gives you a good base. Uh, you know, Jason Brown, uh, you know, I, the way they, he just, they described him was, you know, kind of like a gamer type of person, a real leader on the field. Um, but they always kind of left that door open where, you know, I think that talent wise, he's just kind of a step behind technique wise, he's a step behind, um, and not a guy that sort of, you know, you know, wows you kind of physically, uh, you know, not a dual threat guy, but, you know, obviously, at South Carolina, won big games, you know, uh, beat Auburn, uh, beat Florida. You know, those are two big upset uh, wins for them that helped them qualify for a bowl game. Um, but I, I just think he's just kind of a step behind. I think he's a good backup, you know, in terms of like, you know, looking at this this quarterback group. I think this is one of the few positions on the offense that's ahead of where it was last year as a group. Um, just because they've got now depth and don't have to worry about sort of like injury. And if Grant Wills does stumble, they can, I think, freely replace him. Um, but I, yeah, I think Grant Wills, you know, even they're not, they, they haven't named him the starter. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And and we know from covering this team, rare is the season where you get through it with, with just one quarterback that hasn't happened for Tech since Josh Jackson's first year. So um, certainly having a serviceable backup is going to be valuable. How about the rest of the offense? And, and Mike, when I asked you about um, kind of what Brent was inheriting, you, you hit on one of the things that I'm curious about. They lost a lot of pass catchers <laughs> they lost some real studs on the offensive line what do you make of the rest of this offense uh it's a work i mean the offensive line they got really lucky in the fact that johnny jordan and silas Janzi both decided to come back uh you know jordan needed a waiver and he, and he got it and so that was kind of a huge deal because they've got now four returning starters up front and so that made that sort of very few question marks um but the the skill positions are where you yeah you like you hit on is kind of uh, wide open. I mean, they got a Temple transfer, Jaden Blue at receiver. You figure he's going to be kind of one of the top three, along with Caleb Smith and probably Dwayne Lofton. Uh, beyond that, they have zero experience at all. So, um, you know, got to stay healthy there. Uh, and, and running back, you know, they had a huge running back room that kind of thinned out now a little bit after spring. None of the guys that really left were going to be kind of much of a factor anyway. Uh, you figure uh, Malachi Thomas will get kind of the first crack at things, you know, had that good three game stretch last year and Jalen Holston will be a veteran that kind of gives them some depth. Can that work for a whole season? I don't know. You know, Jalen Holston is always going to kind of talked about oh, he's going to be competing for the starting job and never really got any consistent run. So, um, you know, I, I think that's the concern. Do they have the kind of the skill position uh, and depth to be competitive? Um, they like their tight ends. You know, they got two veterans there. Um, but again, guys that didn't, don't have a really long resume of catching the ball. Um, but a lot of that was the kind of the previous staff, you know, where they distributed things. You know, mostly it went to Trey Turner and Tavian Robinson. Um, both of them are gone. So I, I think it'll be it'll be a challenge. You know, Caleb Smith showed some things in the spring game. Um, it's hard to read too much into one game. But he's a guy where you figure, you know, he could take a step forward. And if him and Blue and Lofton can can be consistent, that's not a bad first group, um, you know, in the ACC. Yeah, this this really felt like the year that there'd be opportunity there for for the Richmond kid, Jaden Payud, obviously had the, the injury and had to give up football. But um, Mike, is there room for this team? Because th- there is still so much movement in college football with the transfer portal. Scholarship-wise, is there room for them to add in the offseason and might receiver or running back be the target? 
Uh, receiver might be. I think they've got uh, you know two open spots right now. They don't have a ton of room um, because they were over, well over the scholarship limit kind of uh, after spring, and so they needed you know they needed like seven guys to, to transfer out just to get back to uh, eighty five and under. They've already got a defensive line commit uh, that has not signed yet. Um, so counting him, they kind of have two spots, and you know they've talked about uh, wide receiver, offensive line, and defensive back is kind of the transfer targets. Uh, We'll see what they kind of go after. Um, If it's a receiver, it's got to be someone with experience. I don't think they need another kind of guy that, you know, they're they're taking a flyer on. So uh, we'll see. You know, do they go the junior college route at one of the spots? Uh, That's a possibility too. Um, you know, or do they they hold tight just just in case you know they want to put a couple kids on scholarship for the fall and then kind of regroup next year and have a little more space? So we'll see. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that you're you're kind of banking on them adding somebody big out of the transfer portal. How about the other side of the ball defensively? You talked about what this this unit might look like. What's the strength of the defense as you look at it, at least through spring and on paper? <laughs> um, they got some experience. Uh, you know, the the linebacker. Uh, core, you know, you got Dax Hollyfield and Alan Tisdale uh, coming back um, in sort of the kind of the middle, uh, you know, right back to the secondary. You know, you got Neural Pollard up front at defensive tackle. Then in the back end, you got uh, Nasir Peoples and Jamari Connor. So um, there's some experience there that they're not kind of starting over. Um, but, you know, in terms of playmaking, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of the big question mark. Do they have it? Do they have enough playmakers? Because, uh, I, like I said, I think they're deficient up front on the defensive line. I think they're okay at corner with Dorian Strong uh, and Armani Chapman and Breon Murray, kind of that trio kind of rotating. Um, but I'm interested to see kind of can can they scheme kind of to, to the point where they can, you know, um, it, which is something that they haven't done kind of in recent years. Uh, even at the end of the uh, Bud's tenure, they struggled when they needed to kind of make a play. Um, what the last time that you kind of felt that that happened was maybe that Duke game at the goal line where they caused yeah. the fumble. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, when they needed to play, they've, they've just let teams score. I mean, you saw that last year against Notre Dame, Syracuse, um, where they just they just couldn't stop teams and, and couldn't get that you know get off the field. So um, talent wise, I think you're a little bit lacking, but um, we'll see. You know, Brent Prize, the defensive coach, right? So I mean, I think they're you know he's the He's the X factor in it that if he's, you know, as good as advertised, you know, can he transform this group through through coaching and scheme as opposed to sort of having necessarily the personnel that he would he would love to have, you know, talent wise yet. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, part of the challenge for Brent Pry is this is going to be another, it looks like at least, loaded year for the ACC in terms of quarterback play. Uh, yeah, some guys left, some good ones, especially Kenny Pickett at Pitt, but there is some real talent coming back some real talent coming in through the transfer portal uh, could make things certainly challenging for a first time head coach and a, a defense that, that, that you mentioned might be a little lacking in some areas. I'm not going to put you on the spot here for a, a win total or, or how things go, but big picture, what do you expect of this team this coming season, year one under Brent Pry? What has to happen for them to be competitive? What's the ceiling and, and maybe more scary, what's the basement? Well, I think the the ceiling is like a, a Shane Beamer type season that he had at South Carolina, where you, where you surprise a few teams, um, you, you qualify for a bowl, and you kind of get some some momentum, and you kind of get a good feeling around the program. 
Um, I, I think that's op- optimistic and would be a lofty goal, to be honest. I, I think <laughs> qualifying for a bowl is not going to be easy for this team. I think that it helps that their schedule's not very good, um, you know, in terms of, you know, their, their non-conference is very easy, um, you know, or should be, you know, Old Dominion, Liberty, uh, FCS team, and then a West Virginia team that, you know, is not going to be as good as it was defensively last year. And so we'll kind of see uh, what they can bring. And so, I mean, if you win three or four, you know, there's some down teams right now. You know, Duke still should be pretty bad. Um, so I think that the, you know, that helps you kind of prevent the basement from being, you know, way down there. But I mean, I, I think you're you're going to struggle to get to six wins, you know, just with kind of the talent and trying to kind of figure out this new coaching staff. You know, one of the things they didn't do, which I was kind of surprised, is hit the transfer portal harder kind of at the start of things. You know, you kind of saw uh, Mel Tucker do that at Michigan State and kind of mm-hmm. turn things around in two years. Um, you know, kind of basically start over, you know, essentially just saying, like, we're going to get as many kids as we can out of the transfer portal. Um, and they didn't do that here. So part of that was numbers. But so, I mean, I think you're looking at, you know, a, a pretty decent rebuild. I mean, I guess part of it, you know, the question marks, how good is Grant Wells? Can he be? And then, you know, like I said, with Brent Pry, what can he do to the defense? Um, but I still think, you know, it's hard to envision them beating a Miami team or, um, you know, even even Pittsburgh, you know, a team that's rebuilding a little bit. You know, it feels like they're um, behind that that kind of top group in the uh, ACC. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the ACC shakes out in general. And all year long, you can follow Mike's work in the Roanoke Times. We're lucky to have him covering the Hokies for the chain. His work, as I mentioned, is phenomenal. Mike, thanks for joining us and and for breaking down Virginia Tech. Anytime, Mike. Well, that's the view of things in, in Blacksburg. How about in Charlottesville, where Tony Elliott takes over the Virginia Cavaliers? Kind of a surprising transition there. Bronco Mendenhall, uh, I think it's fair to say shocking college football with his decision to, to walk away. And UVA turns to Tony Elliott. So now we turn to Greg Medea of the Daily Progress in Charlottesville. He covers the team with me and, and is a great teammate for me. A great read, I know, for all of you. Greg, thanks for taking some time out to talk. Yeah, Mike, good good to be with you. Good good to chat about the Cavaliers after uh, an eventful an eventful spring for the Hoos. Yeah, it really was. And, and Greg, I'm not wrong, right? Like, we weren't expecting to, to be getting to know a new coach, a new staff, and, and uh, that took us all by surprise a little bit, right? Yeah, I know uh, when I took the job in, in November, I didn't expect, you know, one of the first assignments to, to be a, a coaching search less than a month later. I can tell you that. Uh, that That's for sure. I'd covered a, a variety, few of them over at James Madison at the Harrisonburg paper, but gosh, did, didn't expect it uh, right away on the UVA beat. Right. Welcome to the new gig. Now let's go hang out and, and stake out airports. Uh, but Tony Elliott did take the job. He had been Clemson's offensive coordinator, um, certainly a very highly regarded offensive mind in the game of college football. But now his job is an entire program, right? Managing everything on and off the field, managing personnel, uh, both sides of the ball, the roster, the alumni, the the boosters, all of the things that go into being a college football coach at the power five level. So Greg, what, what did it feel like Tony Elliott's emphasis or his first areas of attention were um, this offseason? What, what did he want to get accomplished? I think I think a lot. First and foremost, it's, you know, you, you hear this word in college football a lot, but it, it's kind of establishing the culture, establishing what he wants the, the program to look like in, internally and the goals to be for his players. And I think you, you kind of got a sense of, of what he and his staff are, are all about and what he expects 
from the program. And that's, you know, to be a combination of, of high level football and to compete in the ACC uh, as well as high level academics. And I think that's one of the reasons why he took the job, right? Going back to, to December, Mike, when, when everything was going on, you'd heard that Tony Elliott and UVA from whoever you talked to, whether it was somebody who knew Elliott, somebody who knew UVA well, somebody who knew a combination of both the school and the coach, was that he, he had this great fit because of his background, uh, you know, as, as, as a great student when he was at Clemson. And then, of course, the football uh, from all the success he had on uh, Dabo Sweeney's staff at, at, at Clemson with the Tigers and the college football playoff appearances and the national championships, that, that maybe he was the absolute right fit. And I think you kind of got a sense of what the expectations were going to be both on the field and uh, in the classroom and how he plans to blend them together. You heard the, the big picture outlook for recruiting and how he was going to try to identify players who fit both the school and the football program, and specifically kids throughout the state of Virginia who fit the school and the program. And I think there's been a conscious effort to, I don't want to say rebuild relationships with with high schools in the, in the Commonwealth, but I think from his staff, there's been this really, really hard push to, to make sure schools know who they are and know, you know, who, who the running back coach is at UVA, who, who the defensive ends coach is at UVA. I think there's been some of that and, and, and establishing some of those relationships that it's going to be built, uh, of course, with, with everything UVA has in place, but with kids in Virginia and some of those relationships maybe with the high school coaches can pay off uh, to help funnel those kids from, you know, some of the great high school programs that there are in Richmond or Northern Virginia or down in the 757. So uh, to me, that that's kind of what I thought the first couple of months were. Establish the culture internally and then also make a consistent effort uh, and make a really hard push. And, and you've seen it with some of the tech stuff, too, and what Virginia Tech's doing. Uh, it's kind of been a, you know, a little tit for tat there. Uh, with what's going on between the two schools, uh, but really make an effort to get to know the high school coaches and 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 send an olive branch to make sure uh, that they know that UVA is an accessible program and that you know they're interested in the kids in the Commonwealth who can play. So that to me was was kind of the big picture view of what Tony Elliott was trying to establish in his first few months on the job. That's I think that's even before you know getting into the spring football. Yeah, you're right, and, and you know it's interesting because we talk about it a lot at Virginia Tech, but I think it was true at UVA too that. Maybe it wasn't that they weren't recruiting Virginia kids. There was a perception that that wasn't the most important thing. And both coaching staffs, I think you're right, have really made it clear that perception is everything, right? And so they want to put it out there, how important it is. And and that's definitely been a a focal point. Have it on the field, Greg, because we got to see some open practices. We got to be there. We got to meet these coaches, get to know them a little bit. What do you think this, let's start on the offensive side of the ball, where they were certainly prolific uh, a year ago under Robert Unai and Jason Beck uh, with Brendan Armstrong, at quarterback who's back. We'll talk more about him later. But what do you think the the vision, at least in year one here, uh, is for this offense? I think there's going to be a consistent effort to to run the football. And that's not saying they're not going to throw it and let Brennan Armstrong do do what he does best and, and throw the ball around to all those great wide receivers. Tony Elliott and Des Kitchens are really smart coaches, and they know some of their best personnel uh, is at the quarterback spot and a receiver position. So they're not going to abandon the passing game. There's just going to be uh, a running game that complements the passing game, and they're not going to steer away from the run. Maybe if just just because it's not working right away, or just because their quarterback is an all-world type of player at the position and is confident playing quarterback, 
to me, I, I think that's kind of the most important takeaway of, of what happened this past spring at UVA is that they're going to make the uh, adjustment to run the football. And it's going to be a consistent part of Des Kitchings and Tony Elliott's offenses that, you know, that they're going to continue to run the football because they want to open some things up in the passing game too. I think that'll only help Brennan Armstrong. They, they're running back depth. It was a little depleted this spring, but you saw it in the spring game anyway, t- taking what you want, I guess, from the spring game is probably the best way to put it, uh, depending on how much stock you put into that that blue-white scrimmage. Uh, but with, with Mike Hollins, he was kind of the, the workhorse all spring. And, you know, they kept running the ball in the spring game, even though, you know, maybe it wasn't working that great at first. But then by the second half, first play of the second half, Parrish Jones takes the football 75 yards for a touchdown. And you saw a little bit of that effect of, you know, if you just keep going with it and you you keep showing that you can be consistent uh, in, in continuing to try to run the football, that, hey, something's going to pop at some point and you're, you're going to be able to pick up some yards on the ground. Uh, Paris Jones was impressive. Ahmad Faustin and Mike Hollins uh, were really good throughout uh, spring camp from what we heard, Mike. And uh, I think, you know, you, you look at those three, uh, plus they, they're bringing in a transfer from Miami, Cody Brown, who announced his commitment last week. I, I think you see that and you think to yourself, well, there's four uh, they have the freshman, Xavier Brown, coming in from Lexington, a Christian Academy. That's five running backs then on the roster. Uh, and we haven't even talk, talked about Ronnie Walker, depending on when he's back uh, from the leg injury he suffered earlier in the spring. He was really good until he got hurt. I think that was about a week, week and a half into spring practices. But uh, then they're, they're six deep if they can get Walker back at some point. Uh, so to me, it seems like they're gearing up that position Uh, maybe not to have a feature back, but to be able to roll backs in and out uh, so that they can be competitive from one down to the next and, uh, and be able to run the football. So that, that to me was my biggest takeaway with the offense is that they're going to try to be balanced. Yes, of course, they're going to throw with Brennan and those receivers, but, but of course they're going to run the football too. Yeah. So offense was not a problem a year ago. That was a lot of fun (laughs) to watch Armstrong and that group sling it around the yard, put up the points they put up. Defense, conversely, Greg, was at times hard to watch. Um, now you got a new staff. They're remaking that defense. Uh, it's a unit that struggled giving up big plays. What's the vibe? What's the feel that we get from what this defense is going to look like scheme-wise, mentality? What do we expect on that side of the football? Yeah, Mike, I don't know about you, but I got the feeling that there's some renewed confidence with a lot of those players who were part of that defense last year. I don't know if you felt that way. Yeah, I think so. And I think what we're about to get into some of the scheme stuff is why I think yeah. um, this feels like a scheme that's designed to, to not leave you in a position where you might get exposed. Um, maybe less gambling, but maybe more effective, right? For this group. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think John Rodzinski, the new defensive coordinator who, who came to UVA from air force uh, said it, said it earlier, you know, he just wants to keep things simple uh, and it may look complex to the opposing offense and opposing offensive lines, which is, which is something you want as a defensive coordinator, but for the players in place on defense, it's going to be a lot less thinking. And then that's, that's some of the comments Nick Jackson and Chico Bennett made this, this spring is that, you know, there's an understanding and, and, adjustment to, to playing within a defense where you kind of know what you're doing because it's not overly complicated. So I think that was a really important takeaway. There'll be three, four, some four, two, five, right? I think that's finally what, what the consensus was uh, by the end of spring ball after you asked uh, probably every coach or player that, that walked through interviews. 
No, no doubt. It was funny because, and, and obviously no, nobody wants to be pegged as one thing, right? And, and this defense, I do think, will be very multiple. But um, Radzinski was adamant that, that he's a, a 3-4. All the guys talked about playing with four down linemen at times. The defensive backs talked about playing with five in the secondary. Uh, so I think that there's, there's no question uh, that while they may have a base and a plan, that, that they do aim to be very multiple. And part of that, you know, Greg, is going to be that, that bandit position, oh, yeah. which can be a defensive end, can be an outside linebacker, can drop in coverage. Um, that's part of what's going to make them not just multiple, but multiple in that really tough way where just because they have certain personnel on the field doesn't mean they're locked into a formation, right? They may have a guy in that bandit spot who on first down is standing up and, and then on third down has his hand in the ground. And, and, and I think that's going to be interesting to watch unfold. Yeah, that's that's your Chico Bennett type right there. Uh, and, and he had a good spring from, from all indications. And I think he even had a sack in a spring game, if I can remember correctly. But he, he kind of was one of those guys that you thought going in, what position is he going to play in this defense? when we were trying to still figure out what the defense was going to look like because he was one of those in-between guys, and he, he does have that role of hand in the ground or rushing off the edge out of a two-point stance. So I think that's really important. And, and just to just to get back to that, those slight adjustments they can make on the defensive line, I think it was Des Kitchings who said, you know, any time Rodzinski would move his, his defensive front slightly, whether it was, you know, a a defensive tackle sliding over a bit or a defensive end widening out. That's a new adjustment for the offensive line. Maybe it was Tony Elliott. I couldn't remember if it was Elliott or Kitchings who said this, but every slight adjustment the defensive line makes, and this is part of this multiple defense, the offensive line has to adjust and be able to block that that new look front. So even if it's just a slight adjustment in what Rudzinski and that defense is going to do, it's going to create some confusion for opposing offensive lines. And I think that's a unique wrinkle, especially if they can keep it simple enough uh, for their defenders to understand. Yeah, yeah. If their players can master it, it's just, and we talk about this in college football all the time, there's a finite amount of time to prepare for a game. So the more things you can put on film, that your opponent has to prepare for. It's why trick play. I don't know how many coaches have told me that they've run trick plays that they thought, eh, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But hey, if you can put that out there, that hey, this is something they can do. That their their up guy on the punt might take off with the ball, or, or that their holder on a field goal can throw it a little. Uh, it's just wasted time, really, for the opponent. It sounds almost nasty and, and dirty, but it's like, how much can you put out there? And, and if your defense can truly be multiple, um, not just showing the looks, but be effective, it's just more for the opponent uh, to prepare for. And it will be interesting. And a lot of it, as you said, comes down to personnel. So let's talk a little personnel. Let's stay with the defense right now. Um, I mentioned the struggles with the big plays. Greg, who who do we like on this defense? Who do we feel like, okay, regardless of the scheme, who are you building this defense around at Virginia? I think the one guy is is someone I mentioned already. I wrote about uh, in a feature story is Chico Bennett. I think he's somebody poised for for a breakout season. Transferred from Georgia Tech, didn't play last year because of an ACL injury. I think he's someone that that can effectively get to the quarterback. He's been working with with Chris Slade on all his pass rushing techniques and and some of the things that UVA would like to see from him this fall. I think he's someone that that can absolutely help them this year. Someone they didn't know they were really missing last year, right? Because uh, he he was missing the year with the injury after uh, playing pretty well as a freshman uh, at Georgia Tech. But Pacheco Bennett's one. Nick Jackson, of course, 
somebody you can absolutely trust in the middle of the defense uh, at linebacker. He's what led the led the ACC or led the team in tackles the last two years uh, for for UVA. So I think he's he's someone. Uh, you absolutely can build it around. And then in the secondary, uh, I think the one player who stuck out to me this spring that you heard good things about was Antonio Clary. You know, didn't start every game last year, uh, but but someone who who, who seemed to be emerging and, and playing with more confidence uh, this spring. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how those guys lead. I think you, know, you mentioned Nick Jackson. He feels like a guy who can have a bigger impact than he's had. And that's not men as a criticism because you mentioned the tackle totals he's been as steady uh, an inside backer as there is in the conference um they can rely on him he's a short tackler but it kind of feels like charles snowden's uh last season where he was playing well but he wasn't taking over games right he wasn't having that kind of an impact and then he started he started getting the sacks the tackles for loss the pass deflections so it wasn't just he did everything right and he was reliable he became um impactful. I remember Bronco using that term and it feels like Nick Jackson, that's the next step in his game, right? Can he go from dude, Nick Jackson is a guy you can count on to make the right plays and do the right things to Nick Jackson's a guy swinging a wrecking ball for, for the opposing offense. Um, I don't know if he can be all that dynamic, but I think he can take a bunch of steps in that direction. I think that's fair. I, I think that's absolutely fair. And maybe the new defense will allow him to do it, right? You saw some of it in a spring game where, when he was sent on blitzes. And I know Rodzinski probably likes to be a little more conservative than uh, than, than, than not. Uh, but you, you saw Nick Jackson. I think he had two sacks in that in that spring game. So maybe maybe there is some of that there with him. And and I think the other the other player just to mention is is Anthony Johnson, right? Yeah. At cornerback, you, you need a cornerback that you can count on in a league uh, and in any ACC playing against some of these top wide receivers. Uh, and I, I think he's going to be somebody that they're they're really happy about. He, you know, he, he's a veteran. He's been through it. Uh, he went before he transferred to UVA. He went through a coaching change at, at Louisville, uh, so he's been through this before. And I think he's been one of the guys that that's really helped some of his teammates along in in adjusting to Tony Elliott and, and the new staff. Yeah, and, and for us, selfishly, we want him to play a huge role because he's great to talk to. He is a great, no <laughs> great post-game or post-practice interview. All right, well, we've gone, what, almost 15 minutes, maybe more, and we haven't really talked about maybe the best returning player in the ACC. Quarterback Brendan Armstrong, uh, maybe no bigger moment for Tony Elliott in offseason number one than when Brendan Armstrong said, first, if I'm playing college football, I'm playing it at UVA. He wasn't going the portal route and then deciding not to test uh, the NFL draft to, to come back and play at Virginia. Greg, he was good two years ago. He was great a year ago. What's the next step? Is it just be great again or is there more he can add to his game? What are we expecting from Brennan Armstrong this year? I, I think one thing that, well, there's a couple of things that stuck out to me this spring, but but one thing on the field and kind of in between the lines is the is the footwork and the, the NFL type stuff that, that scouts and NFL personnel people want to see. Uh, you heard Tony Elliott this spring mentioned that that he'd like Brennan to, to kind of follow his progressions a little more than uh, as opposed to playing so instinctual. You don't, you don't want to lose those instincts because they can win you games at times. But from 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 one down to the next, maybe, you know, 
throw to that third read or throw to that fourth read instead of, you know, taking off to run because that's what you feel. So I think there's some of that 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 might work in terms of preparing Brennan better for the NFL. I don't I know that that may be something that UVA fans don't care about because they just want to see wins, right? Uh, and maybe Brennan playing instinctual leads to more wins. But I think that's something to watch uh, to see how Brennan can improve. Uh, as a quarterback and as a thrower, as it pertains to the next level. And then the other thing that that you heard about all spring, I heard about all spring, was this next step in the evolution of leadership for for Brennan Armstrong. Tony Elliott wants someone who's going to command that huddle, command that team from you know just just every day in practice and from the get go as the team was kind of adjusting to Tony Elliott's up tempo style of practices. Right, just to so if, in case or the listeners hadn't heard, you know, Tony Elliott's running these high energy, no time wasted type practices. And from what the players had said, it was quite the adjustment at first for for UVA this spring. Uh, And I think, you know, one of the the things that stuck out to me was that first practice, Brennan Brennan had said, you know, Elliott was getting on him a little bit to, to lead the team. And I think there's some of that, that, that Elliott's going to want to extend you know, into the summer, into this, into this training camp in August, and into the season eventually. So I, I think that's a couple of things with Brennan. Uh, I think football wise, obviously he's gonna be he's gonna be fine, and he's he's got his trusted receivers, Keaton Thompson, Dontavian Wicks, uh, and 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 Billy Kemp. Once he gets healthy, he missed spring, but once he gets healthy, you know he has all those trusted receivers. So I think that'll come pretty easily as they adjust to the new offense. But uh, the the other stuff, kind of the NFL stuff, and then the leadership stuff, uh, that, that's a couple of things maybe you want to see Brennan improve on and keep building on uh, this, this, this fall. So that's the positive. Brennan Armstrong's back. Those receivers are great. You mentioned the pace of some of those practices, and the guys it really took a toll on were the offensive linemen. Because, right. Greg, there isn't much there for Garrett 2J and the offensive line once again, right? Coach 2J's already rebuilt that position once. You had guys transfer. You had guys leave for for turning pro. That is a real question mark uh, going into this season. What do you make of the offensive line? And is it all doom and gloom? Like, do we feel like, okay, that's where it all goes off the rails? Or, or can it still be salvaged and functional? No, I, I think they're at a point where they did get a lot of use out of the spring, right? Garrett Touje has fixed an offensive line before at UVA, and I, I think he's poised to do it again. Now, is he going to do it again with the with the group he had this spring uh, without bringing some more players in? I, I don't think so. I think they're going to need a couple of those grad transfers uh, that are due to join the Cavaliers this summer. Obviously, John Paul Flores uh, from, from Dartmouth, Mac Hollensteiner, uh, from Georgetown, uh, to me, that's that's kind of what you want to see, how those new guys fit in with what they've done. Uh, but I do think they've found some pieces uh, on the offensive line this spring based on how they practice, right? You heard a lot of positive reviews uh, about Noah Josie uh, for, for, for UVA this spring. You heard a lot of positive reviews about Charlie Patterson at one of the tackle spots. Uh, and I think they've found a couple of guys they can count on and I think that's a good thing, right? You needed those spring practices to kind of figure out who you have on the offensive front. So to me, that's that's a big positive takeaway. I think the other takeaway is, and this is, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a negative, but it's something you identify as as needing to improve, and that's you still need more. 
on that offensive line, right? I think that's kind of where they're at. They've found a couple of pieces through their spring practices, maybe more uh, if they can get Derek Devine healthy. He kind of he, he was good early on and then got hurt, unfortunately. Uh, so they're at that point where they have a little bit of an offensive line, but you need five guys. So that, that's kind of where they're at, I think. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And to me, that's that's the position I'm watching, right? Because you got Armstrong and those receivers and, and, and the commitment to the run game and all that's great. And you've got some defense with some veterans at each level and a scheme that should cut down on the big plays. To me, it's, it's can they make that offensive line functional to, to let Armstrong excel to do the things they want to do in the running game, all of those types of things. To me, it's 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 very iffy. Um, yeah, it's no, definitely I, the area of concern. But and I'm not going to ask you here to to give me a, a win total. We'll probably come back on on maybe on the Teal and Barber podcast and, and do that uh, in the preseason. But what do you expect big picture this season? I mean, is this a team that's contending for a bowl game? Is it a team that's contending for a division title? Um, what's the ceiling and and what's kind of the basement as you're looking at them right now? Yeah, it's a good question. And and just, I didn't want to forget Jonathan Leach. He, he's probably the offensive lineman who had the best spring. And I, I forgot to even mention him there as I was going through a couple of the names. Uh, but but he, 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 I think, is someone they can count on. But as far as your question in regard to the bowl game, uh, and what I think that ceiling is, I, I do think it's it's an above 500 team, right? It's I, I don't want to put a win total on it yet until we know exactly what they're going to look like uh, come come August as they, they go through training camp. But I, I would think, you know, seven, eight wins, bowl game. I think that's kind of would, would be a really nice first season. Uh, for for Tony Elliott and his staff and this group of players who are trying to kind of reset the foundation a little bit of what UVA uh, has has done, so I think that uh, that is kind of their ceiling. I think you know if if you're looking at uh, a doomsday scenario, would be you know nothing goes right in his first year and uh, you end up four or five wins. I think that's probably the the worst it could be, but I don't think it'll be that. I, I get a good feel from watching Tony Elliott and his staff. Uh, practice and and from what the players are saying, it seems like the players have bought in uh, at least at least the core group of players. I know that was kind of one of the takeaways coming out of spring ball that I had was I felt that Brennan Armstrong uh, and some of the older veterans, Nick Jackson, Anthony Johnson, those guys had, had really bought into what Tony Elliott wants. And and Brennan's quote at the end, you know, we, we got to do something different, right? Did six and six last year. That's not good enough. Nobody wants to be six and six. And I think because Tony Elliott has that buy-in already and he established that, and I think I think you might have wrote, written about it, is, is kind of winning the locker room, yep. uh, is, is that that's going to lead to a, a productive summer and and, and a positive and, and carry some positive momentum going into fall camp. So to me, I, I think they're at a good place. Uh, like I said, ceiling, I don't know, seven, eight wins, contending for a bowl game. You know, the worst case scenario, but I don't think what happened is, is four or five wins. Uh, it should be fun to watch unfold. It's, it's always exciting when you have the start of something new, and uh, certainly Tony Elliott at UVA is that. And Greg, you mentioned you joined the beat kind of later on in the season. I'm looking forward uh, this year to you and I working together for an entire football season. So thanks for joining me today, breaking down the Cavaliers, and appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem, Mike. Looking forward to it. Well, the ACC was more wide open than it's been in years in 2021, with Clemson suffering through a 
down year, albeit a 10-win season for the Tigers, so I'm not sure how down they really were. North Carolina State and Wake Forest, they both took steps forward to challenge Clemson in the Atlantic Division, and, and both of those teams get their quarterbacks back. Devin Leary at NC State and Sam Hartman at Wake Forest, uh, they return for another season. In the Coastal, where Tech and UVA hope to make some noise under their first-year head coaches, the story figures to be Miami again. Miami figures to be the preseason pick, and yes, with new coach Mario Cristobal and a returning star at quarterback, it's it's time for the annual preseason tradition of declaring that the U is back. Uh, Pittsburgh, even without quarterback Kenny Pickett and wide receiver Jordan Addison, they may have something to say about that. Where might the Hoos and Hokies end up when the dust settles in 2022? We're a long way from knowing that answer. Both rosters may still change over the summer. Additions and subtractions via the NCAA transfer portal, and there are still plenty of position battles to keep an eye on in fall camp. We'll be back in August to take a fresh look at the upcoming season, but for now, enjoy the summer. Kickoff is just around the corner. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and written by yours truly. It is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join us again next time.